Hi, this episode of the WHO Health in Europe podcast is about arts that can be used to improve health and tackle non-communicable diseases. Your hosts are Alexandra Olsen and Igor Krychkov. The arts have long been recognized for their ability to enrich our lives, but they can also play a powerful role in our health. In recent years, there has been a growing body of research that suggests that arts-based interventions can effectively tackle non-communicable diseases, or NCDs, from cardiovascular and chronic respiratory diseases to diabetes and cancer. NCDs are a major threat in the WHO European region. They account for 90% of all premature deaths. So we need all the tools we can use to reduce this threat. A new WHO Europe report that's based on the Learning from the Arts Budapest Conference, organized in late 2022, suggests how arts can be integrated into health systems and help us beat NCDs. We have discussed the main ideas of the conference that are highlighted in the report with Dr. Kremlin Vikramasinghe, WHO Europe Regional Advisor for Nutrition, Obesity and Physical Activity, and acting head of the WHO European Office for NCDs, and Katrin Hetz, a consultant working for the same office. So, uh, Kremlin, can you please explain, does art have a real healing effects? So I think it depends on what you define as medicine, but anything that improves the quality of life of people could be described like that. Specifically, for if you think about a patient with heart diseases, what we know is first they might get high blood pressure, what we call hypertension, that itself is a disease. And some of these patients who have hypertension will get a myocardial infarction or heart attack and which will reduce their ability to work or then they can get with blood pressure a stroke uh, bleeding in the brain and that might reduce their ability to do certain functions and we know for a lot of these patients dancing little therapy with arts has always been helpful to recover but also to build their physical fitness back to get their functionality. So yes, it's from the prevention all the way to rehabilitation, it has a role. And you mentioned that um, arts and culture obviously has these these beneficial effects. Um, what 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 types of benefits can arts and uh, culture have on people's health and on NCD specifically? For non-communicable diseases, eighty percent of that disease burden come from our day-to-day behaviors, such as what we eat, our physical activity, smoking, alcohol. We know these behaviors are very much culturally linked and also what's accepted as culture and what you learn. And arts can be used to influence those cultures. And that's where we see that in some countries they introduce these new cultures into children's uh, books, storybooks, because you learn, absorb those messages very early. And in some cultures, these messages are distributed through arts and songs and uh, through uh, other ways of arts about the healthy behaviors or the impact of unhealthy behaviors. So we think there are many opportunities to use arts and culture to disseminate uh, those health messages. And in some countries, they use the religion, which is part of the culture, and to disseminate healthy behaviors or build the trust in the community about certain health interventions, whether it is vaccination or some other uh, intervention. 
Dance, painting, singing and music, storytelling and performance. Every art form can be used to improve well-being and health. We only need to determine what art therapy is effective for the specific disease or condition. Catherine Hetz tells us about how flexible art interventions can be. I think Cronin already said a lot like how, how it goes really from the entire journey to prevent disease, but also then in the rehabilitation. And it also works with basically all age groups. So we have coming like people coming to the children's hospital, working with them, singing with them, also having like just activity not only to distract them and like kind of give the body space to heal while like the the brain is somewhere else. Um, but also like with all the people that still like through dancing get physically active and um like kind of enjoy those kind of activities, which then again helps the whole well-being and like the um, everyday life. And stories, I think we, I mean, for example, Christopher Bailey has like these really powerful messages, how storytelling can bring important messages really to people and like internalize, like people internalize um, information better if it's like wrapped in a really good story. And he only, like, from a, a meeting, like, a few minutes, he really presented those. Like, he gave us an impression how storytelling, like, how, how captured you are and how you really listen and understand more. Here is an abstract from a storytelling performance that Christopher Bailey, WHO Arts and Health lead, did at the conference. His story was not an easy one to tell. It was about the emotional and physical pains he went through while struggling with cancer, as well as the beautiful revelations he obtained during this dark time of his life. When I was finally released from the hospital, and I went back to my Facebook page, and I saw all the hundreds and hundreds of responses said, Chris, what happened? What's going on? Tell us. I was like, oh God, I, <laughs> I owe you people an explanation. Uh, and I, I, I started to let them know uh, what that journey was as I was experiencing it, because I, I, I didn't know. Uh, I, I didn't know what I was going to face. And what evolved over time was almost this running blog of my cancer journey. And many of my friends found it helpful enough that when they knew someone who had cancer, they, they referred them to me. And we created this private conversation of just people living with cancer. And it, it became this forum where we could share things that we couldn't necessarily share with our loved ones because we didn't want to make them afraid or traumatize them, but we could with each other because we, we understood. When I was finally released from the hospital, the first thing I did, it was a spring day just after Easter, I lied down on my lawn with my tulips that I was afraid I was going to miss, but were in full bloom. And I just felt the earth on my back, and the sun hit my skin. And I just, at a fundamental level, simply tried to connect back to the earth, to the living things around me, to the sun itself, and felt whatever happens, I can face this. I also found that being at home on sick leave was driving me crazy. It was, I, I became morbidly obsessed with my demise. I became uh, 
anxious and uh, I, I hated it. I, I, I wanted activity. I didn't want to just sit in the corner and feel sorry for myself and, and wait for my death. Um, I had to do something. So what I ended up doing was I, I wrote a play uh, actually on the AIDS epidemic. Um, when, when I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, some of my first professional work afterwards was uh, in the gay theater in New York. And it just so happens it was the height of the AIDS epidemic. I didn't know at the time it was a gig. And I found myself on the front lines in this moment where the gay theater was emerging from the clubs and the basements into off-Broadway and eventually Broadway as, as a sign of social activism. Of, of saying, we are here, hear us, there is a disaster happening, you need to come, and we'll force you to listen. And I was a part of that uh, unintentionally. And, and so looking back on it, I realized that uh, I, I was on the front lines of an epidemic. So I, I wrote this play, and we got it produced in New York. And what I found was that when I was on stage working with the actors, I had this profound sense of well-being. I could walk, I could hold things, I could speak eloquently. It was as if the chemotherapy had disappeared for that period of rehearsal and performance. And when I got home, of course, I would take off my shoes and my socks would be uh, soaked in blood. I couldn't speak anymore. It was only temporary. But in that moment of performance, I was well. Now, why is that? Is it because it was a distraction? Was the deep aesthetic experience just making me forget that I, I was in extremis? Uh, or is it possible that the, the, the deep aesthetic flow had an analgesic effect? And, and sure enough, in some of the research that we've done since, it does. Uh, there are certain biochemical reactions that have a slight analgesic effect, but I wouldn't want to exaggerate that because it's about the same level as you get from eating chili peppers. You know, it, it, I think it's something more than that. And looking back on it, I think it has everything to do with this quest for meaning, that yes, I survived, and perhaps the, the, the aesthetic experience of what I was doing during my chemotherapy helped a little bit, creating a more healing environment that might have boosted me a little bit to survive. But I don't, I, I don't think that's actually what matters, because the arts are not about curing anything. The arts don't cure cancer. The arts heal, which is different. That even if I had passed, my journey would have had authentic personal meaning because of that artistic engagement. That's the point. Can, can you both relate to that on a, on a personal level? Do you have some form of art or culture that speaks to you personally that can, uh, you know, uh, that you can relate to that heals you? I, I honestly think like music for me personally has a really intense effect. Like if I go to a concert, I really like classical concerts. And if they start, it really do, like physically does something with me. And I have one experience. I did an internship in a hospital and they had this, I think they're called sound chairs. And you sit in there in this big chair and they have like, like kind of harp sides and behind you. 
and they play those sides and you feel the vibration and you hear the sound and it only like for a minute it has such a powerful impact on your body it's you can't really describe it <clears throat> but it's really intense and they use it for people who have like i think autism and like um also cognitive problems and they they see how these people like kind of wake up and and show reactions they've never showed before so i think just those experiences were really valuable for me that's amazing that's a really cool story i'm look i'm actually now i'm 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 dreaming of trying that actually i think that <laughs> that sounds fantastic um and i think something that you mentioned here was this i think a very well established connection between arts and mental health which i think a lot of studies have been published about already but then i think what's what's interesting in our context here is maybe some of the other ncds and and risk factors um and i guess um maybe you could name a few kremlin that what 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 areas of ncds and risk factors um would you be interested in in studying further so in this meeting we want to explore exactly how the benefits of arts and culture could be used for non-communicable disease prevention and management and we are looking at different risk factors and different opportunities so physical activity already came physical activity some some population engage in that because they really understand the benefits of physical activity and they have the enough motivation to get out and run or go to the gym but at the same time we have large population who do not meet who recommendations to do physical activity purely based on that information for that we need that extra motivation so if they enjoy music or dancing or that any other elements we can use that to get them to do physical activity that otherwise we would not get other areas we like to communicate is there are certain very simple messages where we knew the evidence for 30 40 years for example alcohol and breast cancer but we have not been able to disseminate that message widely enough in the population or positive benefits like fruits and vegetable reduces your cancer risk now how can we use music tracks to amplify that message to communicate it better and that's something we need to explore when we are communicating a health warning related to our day-to-day behaviors what kind of a background music track would be much uh, better than to a positive health message so these are the type of details we want to get in through this message and provide those examples uh, to our countries and our teams who are involved in developing health promotion messages Yeah because I I think we have a lot of uh, opposite examples of where uh, popular music especially uh, uses uh, alcohol as a uh, as a cool thing yeah. that that they position in their messaging so um that oh. would be interesting to step away from right as one of the Uh, yeah. ways for for ncd uh, prevention yeah we talk about unhealthy foods as well and what we are seeing a lot is about how children get exposed to unhealthy food and we as who received many messages from our member states about a lot of uh, upcoming christmas films have a lot of unhealthy food products placed inside them and uh, these are like paid uh, channels that we watch that we subscribe you pay money to watch them without advertisement but in the film they have done the product placement and these bypass all the regulations we have in place so we see how arts and culture is used to promote those unhealthy products including smoking alcohol today health professionals understand that arts can become an integral part of health environment across all of the WHO European region 
During the Budapest conference, Nils Fitje, technical officer at the WHO Europe Behavioral and Cultural Insights Unit, shared his thoughts on this tectonic shift in attitudes. So I think arts... I, five years ago, I would have said um, arts and health is a kind of underused, underexplored um, concept that we still really have to work hard to introduce to member states, to introduce into health, uh, health systems, and to build awareness around. But I think what this conference has shown, um, and what I feel kind of every time I go um, speaking about uh, uh, arts and health, is that that is changing, that people are beginning to become aware of arts and health, that there's a recognition about how arts can improve health and certainly well-being. Um, and I think what's really fantastic is how the needle is changing. The needle has always been towards, show me the evidence, show me the evidence. And now the needle is beginning to change to say, all right, there's good evidence, now let's start to implement, let's start to make it work in the health system. But how can we make sure that arts interventions will reach all social groups? In the spirit of the current WHO European Programme of Work 2020-2025, that promotes united action for better health. After all, the stereotype about arts as something for the elites remains quite strong. Is that the case? Or is arts for everyone? Can we do something to make arts more accessible to everyone? We, we are trying to see when we use arts and health, whether the benefit is going for the higher socioeconomic groups or whether this health impact will reach the lower socioeconomic groups. So by using this means, are we going to widen our health inequalities or distribute them equally? We thought about this. And this is where we had to be very careful with what kind of intervention we use. So one of the examples we have is from Russian Federation, where they have gone to primary schools and changed these older stories to children slightly to embed healthy behaviors into that. And then they changed the storybooks in some groups of schools. And in the other groups, they kept the stories as it is, traditional stories. And when they evaluated three years later, the schools where they changed the story to healthy behaviors, to fruits and vegetables, and the impacts of tobacco, clearly children's understanding, overall understanding about healthy behaviors, acceptances were much higher, and they have communicated it to their families compared to the other group. So we have evidence if we have a good approach, good policy, we could give the benefits across the population. And that depends on how we use it and which setting we use it and how we introduce the intervention. And we have to be mindful about that. Today, health professionals understand that arts can become an integral part of health environments across all of the WHO European region. During the Budapest conference, Nils Fitcher, technical officer at the WHO Europe Behavioral and Cultural Insights Unit, has shared his thoughts on this tectonic shift in attitudes. Health systems have to recognize that that potential can also be harnessed, that it's possible to take those small interventions and with the right kind of funding, with the right kind of support, and with an infrastructure, which is sometimes called social prescribing, with that kind of infrastructure, you can actually begin to bring those interventions into the health system and as a consequence have real effects not only on the patients or the, the people that they are serving, but on the health system as a whole. Because um, ideally, those kinds of interventions actually help to take some of the pressure off that health systems throughout Europe and the world are experiencing.
Thank you for listening to the Health in Europe podcast. You can find other episodes on all popular streaming platforms. Goodbye and stay healthy.